Good morning, Calvary. My name is Silvana Alvarez. I serve on the worship team and am part of One Humble Voice. Um, just as the offering is being sent around, I will set us up a little bit for our reading today. Um, we'll be reading from Psalm 88 today, which is on page 494 in the Pew Bible. And if you're able to, please stand as we read. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, to the choir master, according to the Mahalath Leanneth, a mascal of Haman the Ezrite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol, and I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Selah. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? To the departed rise up to praise you. Selah. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you, in the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors, I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me, your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. The word of the Lord. Giving honor to God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth, and unto Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and to the precious Holy Spirit that he gives as a gift to all who have called upon the name of Christ. And also to Pastor Gerald for allowing me to share his pulpit and the elders who kindly shepherd each one of us. And to all of you, good morning. It is once again a joy to be with you, to bring the word of God and to share in our fellowship around the Lord's Supper um, today. Thank you, Silvana, for reading the scriptures for us this morning. Would you all join me in a moment of prayer before we launch into God's word? Thank you, Father, that we serve a God who is mighty in battle for us, who provides for all of our needs, who heals our bodies, who provides us peace. 
there are yet billions around the world who do not know you, Lord Jesus. Would you do something today through all of our preaching and our singing and our prayer and fellowship, feasting and participating in the ordinance? Would you grant us more zeal and more courage and more boldness? Would you open opportunities for us to boldly proclaim that Christ lives and saves? Empower our mission partners all around the world, those stateside and wherever they are, to have opportunities to boldly preach the gospel today. Bring people who do not know the Son to their doorsteps. Move obstacles out of the way of the proclamation of the truth of God. Now be with us to bless us and to encourage every heart here and to strengthen May you do it so that the name of Christ is magnified all over Chicagoland. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for all your goodness toward us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> there are times when silence is golden. Neuroscientific studies have found that adding a period of silence to one's day can be more relaxing to the brain and body than listening to music. It helps brain growth, lessens insomnia, and provides clearer mental focus. Silence is not just the friend of parents of noisy children and preteens everywhere. With all the noise pollution we experience daily, silence can be a friend to each one of us. For this reason, some of us refuse to carpool. We do not want a bunch of chatter around us while our brains are still recovering from the crypt. We want the quietness of aloneness in our vehicles, or like me, the quiet car on Metra. Or we want the peace of walking or cycling our way to our destinations without news shows or Spotify in the background. Give us golf match silence when we are studying for comprehensive exams or when we have come home from a day of a series of meetings at work, let us have our times for concentrating on details, for collecting our thoughts, and for unwinding from engagements in which there was way too much talking. At those times, we want everyone to give us some silence. However, there is never a time that we want silence from God. We especially do not want silence when we are in pain, trouble, or distress. At those times, we would love for the Lord to be a guest on a podcast and say to the host, let me tell you and all those under extended suffering and threats exactly what to do to get relief, healing, deliverance, reversal, and or vindication by the close of business today. We would all be ears. <laughs> But there is no podcast that can do this. And for many of us experiencing deep, 
visceral, mentally confusing, overwhelming challenges, opening the pages of scripture also does not seem to be helping us to hear the voice of God that we want to hear right now. The voice of hope, the voice of help, and the voice of victory. We are just left alone in silence with our dark thoughts and feelings behind whatever tough-it-out face we must wear to make it through each day. Today's passage in Psalm 88 lives where we often live but are hesitant to admit. This psalm is inviting us to wrestle with and embrace God being completely silent sometimes when we are feeling total darkness. It is my hope that the three experiences of the worshiper who penned this psalm will speak meaningfully to anyone feeling deep darkness and to those of us who have friends and loved ones, we want to help in their darkness. First, in verses 1 through 7, note that when God is completely silent, the psalmist feels like death is imminent. The psalmist knows the Lord intimately. He has experienced God's salvation from trouble in the past, the God of his salvation. So in his current situation, he cries out to God day and night. Evidently, this concern has been present for some time. As an individual lament psalm, there is an expected structure to this type of psalm in which the psalmist makes an invocation. And then he follows it with a complaint, a confession of sin, and then a vow of praise or of hope. Here in verses 1 and 2, you can see the psalmist petitioning God to hear his prayer, which the psalmist only needs to do because the Lord has not been answering his prayer. As the psalmist faces a life full of troubles, he feels as if he will go to the place of the dead if the Lord does not turn his ear toward him. He describes his experience in his silence as being near Sheol or as being among those who go down to the pit, both idioms for the grave, as one who is helplessly drifting among other dead bodies like a corpse slain in battle. In his primitive theology of the afterlife, he feels like someone God will forget after death, one who no longer will experience the power of God in this life. In the absence of God speaking, the only thing the psalmist can reason is that God is the one driving him toward the deepest darkness one could possibly experience. It must be the wrath of God that is upon him, he says, even though here, the psalmist does not make any mention of sin. I know the feelings of this silence. 
even though thankfully it's been a few years since I have faced something that has brought me this low. I felt it when it seemed like one of my children was becoming something other than the person Pam and I had always known and that that person we knew was never coming back to the previous self. It was the landing pad for job losses that were sudden and out of my control. What the psalm writer encounters is much more intense than the glib exclamation of a manipulator who says, I feel like I'm going to die. Instead, these are feelings of impending, sizable loss of all for which we have worked. These are the deeply disappointed feelings of years of wasted investment in others with the impossibility of recouping the time, energy, or financial sacrifices that we have made. These are the emotions that come when we get the health diagnosis that no one wants to hear or when a person near to us on whom we are depending receives that diagnosis and facing the world without them looks very bleak to us. With what seems like death at our door, we ask God, God, why is that piece of trash I thought was a friend still making it while I am left holding the bag? I know you didn't think the psalmist talked like that, but it's in between the lines uh, in there. God, do you hate me? Have I done something wrong? Did I make a mistake trusting these people? God, how could you have let me do something so foolish or even... Are you just going to let my life go to ruin? God's complete silence for the psalmist made it seem like death was imminent. Because if God doesn't hear our prayers, anything can destroy us. Second, when God is completely silent, we might question the status of our relationship, the status of our relationship with God. After the first selah in verse 7, that musical term that probably means to pause in the music or take a break in the music. Thank you, Silvana, for reading that word. In verse 8, the writer speaks of being alone and trapped. Whatever the historical circumstance, it is so bad that the psalmist friends have just given up on him and they are keeping their distance. They used to come by or they at least used to acknowledge him in the hallway and maybe call him. Now they take roots away from his street or roots away from his locker, and his desk. The psalmist has been ghosted by people who know him well, too. These are not strangers that the psalmist speaks of. These are people he identifies as his companions. His troubles are so bad that those who were his friends, or what one of my daughters calls ex-friends, those who were his friends find him to be repulsive, a horror, and he knows 
that they are thinking this way about him. This is worse than feeling that everyone thinks he is just a complainer, a bothersome, or a burden. This is rightly knowing that people are avoiding you because your situation is just too much drama for them. They have left him alone, and the psalmist cannot get out of his situation, he says. The psalmist has cried so many tears that it feels like his eye is dissolving. But he does not immediately give up on God. Instead, he stretches out his hands in prayer in that childlike pick-me-up pose. God, I need you like now. Like like right, right now. But people have deserted me and, and I'm tired of going through this, God. I'm tired of crying. So like right now, can you hear my prayer? Father, please answer me. Yet heaven doesn't send down one word. The worshiper remains on the helpless path to death. So the psalmist reasons what might be the only thing you could reason, that his complete ruin is what God wants. It makes sense. Lord, if you wanted something different, you would hear me. You would answer my, my prayer. But apparently, since you're not answering, you must want this to be my situation. You don't want me to experience your wonders anymore. He asked that. Do you want me to experience your wonders beyond the grave? Is that even impossible? Again, in his primitive theology, he reasons that the Lord does not want his praise. For to him, the dead do not offer praise to God. They go to the place of perishing, Abaddon, in your text. They go to a place that the Lord does not remember people anymore. That is very different than the relationship the psalmist shared with the Lord in the past, the God of his salvation back in verse 1. How could God just walk over to the pipeline of answered prayer and, and start turning the knob so it just turns off and, and he forget us? Maybe he doesn't really love me the way everyone in here preaches that he loves each one of us. In A Grief Observed, C.S. Lewis expresses concern about the status of his relationship with God during a period of unanswered prayer while experiencing profound grief after the death of his wife, Joy Davidman. He says in an extended quote, this is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, you are tempted to feel his claims upon you are an interruption. And then you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise. You think you will be, or so it feels, 
welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is in vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once, and that seeming was as strong as this. What can this mean? Why is he so persistent a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in a time of trouble? Lewis goes on to say, not that I am, I think, in much danger of ceasing to believe God. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not, so there is no God after all, but so this is what God is really like. Deceive yourself no longer. For Lewis, like us, in times of happiness, the house was inhabited. There was someone always answering the door. But in the darkest moment of life, when his wife has been wrenched away from him through death, the relationship changed so that no one seems home. And he is tempted to think that this is the real character of God to be present in happiness, but to be absent in our pain. He questions his relationship with God. The mystery of unanswered prayer can tempt every one of us to do the same. Third, when God is completely silent, we might conclude that all that is left is darkness. In verses 13 through 18, in what we recognize as the darkest psalm in the Psalter, the only psalm in the Psalter that has no word of hope at all, using some of the strongest language in the entire book of Psalms, the writer expresses profound hopelessness. Right where one would expect confession of sin and then a note of hope in the power and presence of God, this lament has none. There is no, but I shall rejoice in your salvation like in Psalm 13. There is no goodness and mercy to follow all the days of his life. No king of glory who is mighty in battle for this servant. No help and deliverer to put him on a rock to stay. There is no put your hope in God, yet shall I praise him, my salvation and my God. 
He has no, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. In your presence, there is fullness of joy so that he can use some sort of Augustinian wormhole to jump to Good Friday and Easter and have a glimmer of hope. There's none of that. The psalmist has no sin to confess, for sin did not cause this silence of God. But the psalmist feels hopeless because his prayers have fallen on completely deaf ears. This writer knows no concept of walking with God that must always feel hopeful or cheerful and that can never enter total despair. So there is no reason for you to feel shame or guilt if you are experiencing the same thing as the psalmist. God is confronted by the psalmist's prayers as the first activity of the psalmist in the morning. For the writer yet hopes that God will hear him. But the lack of reply from heaven makes him feel like he has been experienced from the very presence of God, that God is keeping his face away from the psalmist, that this numbing experience has been his for his entire life, he says, since my youth, and that God's wrath is upon him and overwhelming him like floodwaters engulfing him so that he would drown under the weight of his troubles. imagine feeling like the Lord has forgotten you but seemingly remembered everyone else who is praying and, and maybe even some people who are not praying? It seems to me that would be like our grandparents or favorite aunt or uncle walking in the door with gifts for everyone but us and then uh, saying, oh my goodness, we forgot you were here. How could Grandma, Grandpa, how could Auntie Kate or, or Uncle Joe, my favorites, have remembered everyone but me? Why did they send everyone else a decent gift on, on their birthdays, including my rebellious sibling, but not me? How could my heroes have forgotten me? Saying, okay, Pappy, it's all right at that time might come out of the mouth, but it wouldn't be enough to mask the hurt of such abandonment. Old Testament scholar Daniel Estes notes in his commentary that like the imprecatory Psalms, Psalm 88 reflects the extreme experience of loneliness as it ends with the poignant words, darkness is my only friend, or darkness is my closest friend. You would need to look in a translation other than the ESV to see it translated that way. But I think it's right from the Hebrew, and let me explain why. 
This line gives only two words in the Hebrew. The first word means those known by me or my companions and friends. The second word is singular and it is the word darkness. It is the last word in the psalm in both the English and in the Hebrew. So what you have is this, those known by me, darkness. My friends, darkness. The uh, second word is singular in darkness. The friends who in line 18a have shunned him have disappeared so that the only friend he has left in line 18b is the darkness of his hopeless situation. Darkness is my closest friend. So now what? Well, number one, we're just going to sit in this. We have to sit in it rather than rush to drop a happy face in our Amazon cart. Otherwise, we could ignore just how bad it really is and stuff feelings that should not be stuffed down. We could then end up trying to compensate in all sorts of destructive and family-destroying ways that still look like happiness on the outside, but our bodies and closest relationships tell us otherwise. No. We're just going to sit and use the time for self-examination and self-reflection. Because now God has our attention in a way that he cannot otherwise get it. But number two, at the same time, we are going to place our whole persons in arenas that are not silent. So we're going to sit in our darkness and not try to escape it. But at the same time, we are going to place our whole persons in arenas that are not silent. See, we are not just parents or children, individual believers or worshipers. Hopefully, you are a meaningful member in a local assembly because that's the only picture of Christianity we have in the New Testament. But showing up on Sunday and doing personal study or devotions are not enough because we are designed for community. You also are an emotional and mental person who might need professional help. And you have a physical body that needs decent sleep, healthy food, and some exercise. If you are exercising and getting out stress, that's good. Keep exercising and getting out your stress. But if you still have darkness, you need to see if your community life and your mental and emotional needs are being filled properly. The biggest lie we can tell ourselves is, I got this. I don't need to talk to anyone or, or, or see anyone else. Well, can you at least do this? Can you ladies show up at 
at least one women's event or one form of, of community and see that, oh, you know what? It was better than I thought. Can Guys, can you show up to one men's event, like one thing in Pastor Gerald's backyard or one men's small group or some men thing that we do around, around here and see, oh, you know what? It actually was good for, for me and this is good in my situation. Can you also talk to your primary care physician about your darkness, please? Doing these things might not change your circumstances, but it will help you fight spiraling into full hopelessness even while we sit in our situations. Three, continue to tell God everything you are feeling about your situation and what you want him to do. We cannot possibly ask God for more than he is able to do. Often our prayers don't call on him like he is upholding the whole universe and multiple galaxies by the word of his power. But what can our God not do? We need to hold these prayers in tension with the mystery of, of unanswered prayer. No one but Jesus had every prayer answered exactly as they prayed it. If God answered every request in the forms of which we asked, the world would be a mess. Just think for a moment of the things that we ask God for. And if we all got everything that we asked for, what a mess the world would be. Instead, he answers as he has decreed for his glory and for our good. He is doing good to us and for us right now in the darkness. If we had an answer to everything, we would be God. Complete silence kindly reminds us that he alone is ruler of the universe and we depend on him. He alone is the awesome and almighty God and we are not. If he does not answer, darkness will be our only hope. I have tried to imagine the words of this psalm in the mouth of Jesus since he would have sung these words from his childhood. His, his stepfather would have, would have righteously taught them to him. And I've tried to imagine them in the mouth of Jesus since he is the end and fulfillment of the experience of every psalm. The cry of darkness is my closest friend was the cry of Jesus. But Jesus knew better than thinking all that was left for him was darkness. Three times on the way to Jerusalem, he said, the son of man will be given over to the chief priests, elders, and scribes, and will be put to death. And that surely looks like darkness. But then he followed by saying, but on the third day, he will rise again. 
He said to the crowd in John chapter 10, I lay my life down, which certainly looks like darkness, and I will take it up again. My father has given me the authority to do this. The stone that the builders rejected, that's darkness, has become the chief cornerstone. Destroy this temple. Destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. The hope of the psalmist and the hope that you and I have in our darkness is that Jesus also once felt that death was imminent. Father, if this cup could pass from me, if there's a way to get out of what I see coming down the road and not have this deep, dark thing come upon me, nevertheless, not my will be done. Your will to take me to death under your wrath be done. The hope we have in darkness is that even in greater darkness, Jesus also questioned the status of his relationship with God. My God, my God, he cries from the cross. Why have you forsaken me, having done nothing for which he should ever have been forsaken? The hope that we have in our crushing silence of our personal darkness is that the darkness also seemed like the only thing left for Jesus when he breathed his last, when Joseph took down the body, when they wrapped him in a shroud, and when they sealed him in a tomb. Everything looked dark then. The whole universe faced hopelessness then until Jesus said, I think I'm going to roll that stone away now. And I think I'm going to leave these grave clothes right here because I won't be needing them anymore more. When God is completely silent, all is not total darkness for us because we have a Savior who has beaten the darkest darkness. He has beaten the darkest darkness by getting up from the dead with all power in his hand, power to help you and I in whatever darkness we face. Hallelujah to him who lives with the power to save us. Glory to Jesus for experiencing the darkness. Let us pray. Father, thank you for being with us in the darkness. For your silent presence with us. We don't like it. It causes anxieties. We wish we could see around the corner like you can. All we can do is keep crying out to you and wait on you. Pour out your mercy and grace now, God, under those who are feeling the deepest darkness or that the deepest darkness is coming soon because uncertainty has come to their doorstep.
remind them of a Savior who has been to dark places that we know not of so that we will not have darkness but have life. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.